Hey, you got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and you're listening to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Uh, just got finished with the class, as we talked about in the earlier podcast with Mike. Excellent class. It was Sunday actually turned out to be awesome, mainly because we got those big wins. So we started out with Friday, four to six miles an hour. Saturday, four to six miles an hour. Then Sunday, 12 to 18 miles an hour. So that put that challenge right in everybody's lap, and it allowed us to go back shoot a bunch of the targets using the wind strategy. We did a, um, we had a nice little lesson with the wind where we used our formula, used the miles per hour, and we talked about that. But then we demonstrated the error budget, you know, how to look at the size of your target and maximize your wind call for the, the size of the target is, is basically how we did it. Um, you know, Mike and I would say on the line, you know, you got between a, 0.3 and 0.5 a wind on some early days. So put those on the target because the target's big enough to absorb it. But what I did is I went out a little bit wider target that I had and we painted it nice and bright for everybody to see. We, we picked up some nice fluorescent neon colors. We're digging it, which also allows you to see the impacts really well. Neon greens, neon oranges, neon pinks and reds. So that looked really, really kind of cool uh, on there. But what I did is I took this target and in the wind hold side of it, I put a reference point on that target. So just inside the edge. And I said, look, that's your reference point. Measure the size of the target. Look at your wind gust and what's going on. And then make your initial wind call. Put your reticle on the point uh, reference point of the target and let her go. And then see what it did. Because we, we played a lot of... KYL games uh, with these guys. Little smaller class, which was fantastic. Uh, I, I kind of like it better. I mean, I know it's not great dollars and cents wise, but for, um, you know, when it, with Mike and I and the way we do our class is slightly different from the way Mark and I do the class. So Mark and I kind of manage bigger classes, uh, you know, in a different way. And mainly because those are two-day classes as well. But Mike and I are doing three-day classes and just the way our line is set up and the different things, I kind of like having that 8 to 10 versus like the 12 to 14 we normally do. Not that it's a bad thing. It just spreads people out a little farther. And our line isn't designed to go. I mean, it is. We can fit a ton of people, to be honest with you. But we'd have to move everybody sort of off the firing line to the side and versus where in Alaska, the firing line is a little bit, we can fit, you know, 18 people uh, in one place where our line can fit about 10 and then 12, 13, 14 have to be off to the sides a little bit. And it, and it makes that gap. That's when we were talking about the island of Hawaii, when I'm calling the other guys Hawaii. So that's how that works. But really good class. And the wind coming up on Sunday, the way it did, allowed us to play that error budget. Really, really cool. And, and I, I got to say, man, it, it stuck, the lesson stuck really well where we had guys in a 14 to 18 mile an hour wind. Oh, what is that? That's some crazy sound. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear that. Crazy sound. Anyway, there was some weird, we had storms coming up and things like that. And it's, you know, traffic and stuff, but it's done during a lightning out and there's a little bit of, we've been getting afternoon weather. But anyway, so, um. You know, we had these guys go out in this 14 to 18 mile an hour wind and we put them on the diamonds at 600 yards. Not only are they getting first round hit on the 10 inch diamond, 
Well, then they're going and translating that hit to the four-inch diamond on the same rack. We have a double Austin Angus double-A targets, and there's, you know, big diamond, little diamond, which I like that. I like having a bigger target, you know, to kind of give you that little bit of where's my call, what's going on. And then I like that sub-minute target to fine-tune, and it's like, can you repeat it? Can you realize what you're, what? the hit on the target told you to get a hit on a smaller target. And we played that with the KYL as well. Because as the KYL gets progressively smaller, your hold changes. And our KYL, like the little guy, it's like two inches at 400 yards, you know? And and guys are whacking it, man, and, and doing a really good job of running that KYL rack and learning it. But learning it in the wind as well. And And so... I I like the fact that not only did we use our xylophone target a lot, but we were able to translate that to other pieces of steel and to demonstrate this is your error budget. Your target is 0.7 wide. You got a 0.3 to 0.5 wind. Okay, put one on one end, one on the other. You should be able to bracket both of them. And just where and how to hold that reticle to maximize the potential for a hit. And, you know, we do a little bit. We, we mix it up a bit where we get to dial some on and, and then use the reticle. I mean, especially once you're going out far, it's, um, you know, it's, it's beyond the reticle. Like, it's not uncommon for the 308s we had in the class to be over three, three and a half mils, almost four mils of wind. Uh, I think we had at the 1,400-yard target between five and seven mils of wind. Okay, so, you know, you're definitely got to dial yourself back into the center. So we, we're able to show both ways of holding, dialing, and working the two together to maximize that hit potential. I mean, but then, you know, it comes into, it comes into what Mike and I were talking about, knowing your scope, knowing the adjustments, doing that pre- and post-shot checklist, and mainly your post-shot checklist. That's the missing element that we see a lot is that guys get off the rifle and don't take that dope off. And we tell them every time, you know, zero out your scope, zero out your scope. And some of them do and some of them don't. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, right? But then where we start to see, we had a couple times guys were a rev off on their turrets. And that rev off comes to not resetting your turret to zero before you get up. Then coming on and not knowing, hey, what if you're a rev around and you're really close to that zero again? And then you go, oh, I'm just going back to zero. And you just kind of go back to zero. Meanwhile, you got that 10, 12, whatever the number for zero is still on the scope. You know, we had one of that where we came back to zero. Or we didn't come back to zero. We did paper in the heavy wind at like three, 400 yards. And one of the guys, you know, didn't hit the paper and went over the top. He's like, I came back to zero after, but he was a rev off. You know, then we saw windage that got put a rev off because we had so much wind that it takes you around and not understanding how much you put on and what direction. So I really want to press upon guys to look at that, look at their optic, look at their scope and really, really understand the directions. You know, I'm seeing, and again, this is, um, ebbs and flows you know what I mean it's not it's not something that's consistently every single class is this way that's not always how it works but what we'll see is 
you know, you got one class where guys come in and they really know their equipment. They really know their gear. Everything goes really smooth. Then you get another class where they struggle. They dial the wrong direction, uh, either up or down, not just left or right, but they'll dial down instead of up or up instead of down. You know, you got to really look at that. And that's why we talked about that in that last little shorty podcast we did that that's a it's an error we see and we see it on for new people, especially guys that just get new equipment. You know, they don't necessarily understand the uh, workings of their scope. They don't look at their reticle. And what we did is we made everybody bring a picture of their reticle or draw their reticle in, in you know, the first mill or so around the reticle. So we knew what we were looking at. I mean, it's really important to, I, mean, I guess, read the manual is a good way of putting it is looking at that and then understanding the sights are your point of human contact right beyond the trigger you got the bolt and the trigger but really what are we touching besides the bolt and the trigger the most the knobs on the scope so it's important to understand those scopes and the knobs and everything that's going on and which way it's going because it's like you're going down the line, going down the line. Okay, dial this, do that. Dial this, do that. And then it's like, okay, what did you do? Did you go up or down? Oh, I went the wrong way. Yeah, we can see. We can kind of tell, but we don't always assume. So you don't see us going, oh, you dialed the wrong way. We don't do that. We'll ask like, hey, what did you do with that? Hey, how did you? I mean, we kind of already know the answer to our own question. But at the same time, it's not like, so insulting we're coming across and going oh you idiot you, you dialed the wrong way i mean because we don't know i mean it might be a wind thing it might be something that it kind of gusted up and it went a little farther out than we expected but at the same time we do kind of notice where if we gave you a half mil call in, in you know to the right and it goes a full mil to the left you probably dialed the wrong way you know we kind of can see that and gauge it but overall, I think it was a really good class. I think everybody had a good time. We got some really good shooting in. We got some really good hits. I liked playing the competitions with everybody. Um, you know, we put out a little bit of, um, you know, we put the whiteboard up. We put the scores on it. And we start, you know, every little comp from after lunch until we go home, we're, we're recording scores. We're looking at scores. We're doing all that stuff. Now, some people had asked if uh, we were uh, monitoring the same data that I monitor with uh, Mark with the God book. And no, I didn't do that. It's it's not really the same atmosphere, like I said. So you didn't see me pulling everybody's data. But we did notice some similar stuff where you had certain guys who, who were a little more experienced whose data is tracking really well all weekend. It's like, you know shooting the 700-yard target, boom, hit. Shooting the 700-yard target, boom, hit. And then you have other guys where it's like today, they're 5-2. Tomorrow, they're 5-4. The next day, they're 5-0. You know, and it's constantly swinging. And that's the new shooter being, you know, broken down and built back up. And as you're starting to learn those fundamentals, somebody had posted on Sniper's Hide and, and was talking about, like comparing Hornaday and AB with a 178 ELD. And they're like, this data's all wrong and blah, 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 blah. And, and kind of calling out AB on some of their numbers. And it's like, eh, but you're, you're not really being realistic. 
you're not really looking at the different variables and somebody had brought up something internally and the guy's like, well, you know, this is BS. No internal ballistics don't, you know, affect external ballistics. And it's like, well, that's not true. Look at the data from Hornaday. I have all the slides from Hornaday that shows external ballistics factors, different powders, different twist rates, different muzzle brakes. I mean, suppressors, all this stuff affecting downrange data that they're measuring through Doppler and that they're putting the graphs and the curves up and they're letting you see it visually. Hey, man, when you do this, this can go wrong. And, and then, you know, you have to translate that to shooter error as well. So as you're starting to learn, you're going to see your data change. You're going to see, you know, less of you being in the shot and more of what the rifle and scope combo are doing. So you, you may start off with a rifle and it's, you know, data A in the beginning. And then, you know, as you get more experience and time behind it and you start to learn your craft a little bit more, you get data B, you know, shortly after. And now your A and B don't line up anymore. So you're going and constantly tweaking. That's not an uncommon thing to see that as you progress. I mean, think about, again, go back to your car, right? You settle into the seat of your car. So you, you, get, you get your car from the dealer. He hands you the keys. You adjust the seats and mirrors. And then as you start to settle in and drive that car and you get, you know, two, 3,000 miles into it, then you got to make another little micro adjustment because now you've settled into the seat. It's starting to kind of fit your butt a little bit better. It's starting to, you know, where your back is. And maybe you don't like the seat up that far forward. You want it back a little bit. Maybe you're going to ghetto lean the, 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 the seat forward or back a little bit. Oh, I need a little bit more lean. I'm going to come out, you know, and, and now that means the, the mirrors are going to change, you know. So you're constantly tweaking this stuff. But we're so used to it in things in our everyday life that we don't always recognize that we're doing it. Again, subconscious level, right? And we don't recognize that we're doing it. So it, when we do it with the rifle, because maybe we see it sooner than later or something like that, it's like, why is this happening? What's going on? What's the problem here? And it's really nothing more than you just getting comfortable with the whole thing. So uh, again, thanks everybody for that class. Oh, I know October, and I think October is our last mile high one. Uh, well, I know it's the last date, but I think the mile high, the mile high class in October is full, man. It's like maxed out. Uh, Mike had emailed me this morning and said, hey, I got one guy asking, do I let him come in? And I'm like, eh, I really don't want him on the line. And not that there was a person, it was the number. And, and it was a little bit bigger. It goes it pumped back up to thirteen, and I'm like, I'd rather have twelve than thirteen. But okay, I'll take the thirteenth guy because it's the end of the season, and we'll finish him up rather than have the waiting list and the whole thing. Speaking of the classes too, I want to uh, address the tread proof in October in Tennessee, Market Frank show. So the Market Frank show is going to be traveling the twenty fifth to the twenty seventh in. October to Tennessee at Treadproof. We're going to have a two and a half day class for Mark and I, and then we're going to have a half a day of terminal ballistic talks with Doc Maurer. And so we'll be doing that class. It's going to be three days, $1,000, um, you know, Treadproof, Mark and Frank coming down um, and having a probably one of our first, I think, 
think it's going to be the first class we've done together in the lower 48. So if you are East Coast guy, don't want to travel to Alaska, not too sure about coming out to Colorado, but you want to experience, you know, what we're putting together, tread proof. Now the site's not 100% up yet. Uh, you'll just see kind of the, 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 the my old class that I did uh, last month. But um, it'll be up in the next day or two. You will register and get um, get on the list f- through Treadproof's website. Okay, they're going to manage the registration and all that. Although we'll be doing everything else. You'll be getting the welcome package and all the stuff, not only from them, but from Mark. Uh, I mean, Mark's hot on it. Uh, we're, we're pretty much done with the season except for the September-October class that we have in the reunion up in Alaska, but we're done. And so he's like, hey, man, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Let's come down. So this is going to be the experiment, for lack of a better word, of bringing Mark down from Alaska to do our class in the lower 48 for you guys. So expect it October 27th or 25th to the 27th. $1,000 a shooter, three-day class, plus you'll get the terminal ballistics. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be a really good time. We're, we're going to put some effort and energy into this guy to make sure, um, you know, we get that same experience, going to hang out together with everybody and not probably take off like we normally do. Here, like I go home, you know what I mean? End of the day, we clean up, we paint some targets, we do what we have to do, we make sure the range is, you know, ready for tomorrow morning, but then I go home. You know, we're in Alaska and all that. We're self-contained. We're at the lodge. So Mark wants to look at the Treadproof Lodge in the Treadproof area as kind of that same self-contained and replicating the Alaska class there because you can stay close. There is some, um, I don't know if they're going to have it available and open, but there there's some bunking and things like that on the range. And with Treadproof, they, they have um, more than enough space for people. I think they can like house 16 people in the upstairs without the hotel. But I don't know if they're going to open that up for purchase or whatever they're going to do. I'll talk to Brett about that a little later. And speaking of Mark posted today, his weaponized math. Okay. So it's on the main page of snipers hide. It's in the forum. You could find it in the link to it. So Mark wrote a little article uh, explaining the math problem that we talked about. And using the X factor. So you can go on to um, snipershide.com main page. You'll find, um, I think it's called weaponized math or something. I don't even know what the heck I called it. But it's something like that. And and it's Mark's uh, data from this season, from the class. And it's a good way of basically just saying, how do I dope this without a computer? How do I dope this when I don't know much of anything? As long as you get the first hit on target, say you're 200 yards, which I mean, most people being 0.3, 0.5, or between one to two MOA, depending on your rifle. And it works with both mil and MOA. It doesn't differentiate. Okay, so it works either way. It's using your dope. And so basically, um, you know, if you have your 200-yard dope and you got 0.5 on the rifle or two minutes, you use this X factor, multiply it by the 1.45, I think, at 200, and it'll give you your 300-yard dope. Multiply it by 1.4, and then 1.35, and then 1.3, and so on, and that gives you the, the next yard line's data. 
So if you're shooting 300 and you have no clue what to do for four, it shows you how to do it. And guys have already looked at it a little bit. Um, it's went up this morning and we've already gotten some feedback on it. And they're, they're within a tenth or two. Guys are like, hey, man, it's lining up with my computer. Hey, man, it's lining up with dope I know is good. And, and you, when you think about steel, I mean, you know, 0.2 is 0.72 inches at 100, right? 0.72. So it's less than three quarters of an inch. If you're within three quarters of an inch, man, you're going to hit a piece of steel. I mean, nobody's shooting really, at least when they're trying and they're getting their dope out and they have no clue what they're doing. Uh, you know, they're not shooting a sub half minute target. They're shooting a minute or bigger and probably even bigger. Most average two minutes. If you're shooting anything Ipsic-like, your elevation's within two to four minutes of elevation. So it's not something that uh, you have to go and struggle with and find. But this will get you there. Go over to Sniper's Hide and take a look. Forum's been super busy, man. I mean, as soon as you post... Guys are on there. There's all kinds of fun little conversations. There was one guy, you know, did an F-class bipod with, like, spikes in the ground. And he's like, you know, he puts a strap to his bipod and he he puts a foot spike, like a tent post, into the ground. And it holds his rifle. And he's like, hey, look at my new invention. And it's like, okay, dude, yay. And, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so the memes in itself are funny. But, I mean, it, it, it's totally smoking the Facebook stuff. Like, I tool around Facebook. I mean, the only thing worth watching on Facebook right now is Phil Vallejo's videos. And I got to drag him over to start putting him on Sniper's Hide. I think he'll get more traction from a captured audience instead of the same 10 PRS guys looking at it and having fun back and forth. You know, and, I, and it's fun. They're entertaining. But they really don't push the agenda forward because they're setting their ways. Phil's kind of pointing some of that out. But, I mean, really on Facebook, the only thing worth looking at is his videos, you know. So we, we definitely need to get him over to Sniper's Hide and start posting that stuff up there. I think you'll find uh, it, it's really informative and helps out a lot. But, uh, no, that was good. That that's kind of a good deal going on. But, yeah, I'm digging on the forum, man, just how busy it is. And every day, it's like every time I turn the dang pull the website up, there's, you know, 25 new people wanting to sign up. We're doing like 100, 150 new members a day. It's just it's just nuts. And a bunch of new companies. There's actually, I got to go look at. There's a new company. Um, What is it? D DS Tactical. I got I to gotta go. It's on my other computer. But he's got like barreled actions. Uh, Bartland barreled, like Remington 700 receivers, but with Bartland barrels for like $9.99. Everything from uh, 6.5 Creed. There's 224 Valkyrie. Uh, six millimeter Creed more. If you get one with a proof barrel, it's like eleven ninety nine. And if you get one with a Bartland barrel, and it's a trued up Remington receiver barreled action, it's nine ninety nine. It's like, man, how do you beat that? That's like a really good deal. And so that guy just became a, um, I like it's DS Tactical, but it's a different name. And I only remember the email. I can't remember the company name, but I have it because I may go grab one at that price. I mean, it's totally worth it. But, I mean, think about what chassis and stocks and everything that's going on nowadays. I mean, remember, I was the other day, I was, like, scrounging for barreled actions and stuff, and I did those two bighorns in, um, you know, well, actually three bighorns, if you think about it, the Valkyrie, the 6.5 Creed, and the other 6.5 Creed. It's just because you get so many damn chassis, and I'm constantly pulling shit apart. It's like having a spare barreled action or two for $9.99. Hello? That's not a bad deal at all, and and we're getting a lot more of these companies coming around, and it's 
it's worthwhile to take a look. And as usual, we got the crazy robust for sale section. I mean, honestly, if you're looking to buy and sell and use stuff, the, the hide friggin' for sale section is insane. I mean, that's that's become my biggest kind of like plus and minus at the same time because it's just everybody's coming around to do that, which is great because new members can't post, but at the same time, they could buy an upgrade. And, and that's the other thing, man. Make sure you familiarize yourself with the rules because if you come onto the hide and you're, and you're you know, kind of just doing whatever you want, thinking it's like the Wild West, like Facebook, you'll end up getting banned in like a heartbeat. Not only will the other members turn you in and report you, my mods will see it. And so, yeah, you could buy an upgrade. And there are guys with less than 100 posts that can post in the for sale section because they bought an upgrade. You can buy 101 posts and that allows you to post something in the PX. Otherwise, if you're a new member... You can't post at all until you get 100 posts. We try to make it like, hey, you need to be a contributing member so we get to know you, but nobody really wants to do that, so they end up just buying the 101 posts count so they can go in and, and make the post. So either way, it works. I mean, I get it, it but it's it's totally moving so fast. It's so robust. Uh, it, it's just it, it's almost hard to keep up because you look at it one minute and it's doing one thing, and the next minute it's like, oh, I'm out of here, see ya. Um, you know, you, you, it's like, where did my post go? And then you go, well, what's the matter? I can't find my post. I just posted it this morning, and it's three pages down. It's like, yeah, it's right here, dude. It never moved. It's just three pages away. Whoa, and then they all start wanting to bump stuff, but we have a 48-hour bumping rule, so we don't have everybody just going there, bumping posts, bumping posts, bumping posts. You know, so we, we if, if they excessively bump, we'll give them a timeout as well, you know. And that's the bad side is we end up banning a lot more people. And I'm not a fan of banning people. I mean, sometimes it's funny. But normally it's like, that's not what we were looking to do, man. We're not, gonna, we're not cruising around like looking to ban somebody. But at the same time, we got rules. James, drink, fuzz. Whoa. He's scratching and itching. He's itchy and scratchy. So, um, yeah, so at the same time, we're not looking to, you know, ban people on purpose. But, you know, if you're going to break the rules and do that, we nuke you. We, you know, we got, like I said, we got so many new members and so much movement going on. It, you, you're never missed. So people call me. I'm like, oh, I got banned for a week. Save me. It's like, nah, not even wasting my time. I mean, so many things. It's like I get emails every single day, probably five a day. Hey, I just signed up on your website. How do I post in the PX? Delete. Hey, I just signed up on your website. I got a rifle I want to sell, but it won't let me sell. How do I sell it? Delete. You know, I don't even, I don't even answer them because it's it's not even worth my time and I've got enough going on uh, that, that I'm not going to sweat that. Uh, speaking of going on, as we're getting closer to the end of the week, I have the gathering happening here. Uh Fort Morgan on Saturday, Friday night, the U.S. Army Sniper Association in the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association is having their hog call or their roundup, whatever you want to call it, but they're calling it the gathering here in Denver. So Friday night, we're going to be at Wine Coop. And uh, like I said, Leopold has put some cash on the table. So we, we, got, a, we got a bit of an open bar for us um, at the Wine Coop. And then uh, Saturday morning, we'll be at my range, and I just kind of established some barbecue for us. So between me and Mile High, we're going to have some barbecue lunch for everybody. 
talk to the pig out barbecue guys today. So we should be pretty good with that. And then on um, Saturday night, it is dinner paid for by Applied Ballistics and Vortex, I believe, at the Indigo Hotel at their restaurant. So Friday night, downtown Denver, Wine Coop. Uh, Saturday, Fort Morgan. And then Saturday night, Indigo Hotel. Uh, what is that? Like Hearth and something, Hearth and Dram or whatever it's called. So we'll be there. But if you're around Denver and you're listening to the podcast and you want to come to Wine Coop on Friday night, you'll find all the Marines, past and present. I'm pretty sure the way it read to me, both schoolhouses are sending instructors because we're going to do some shooting clinics for the guys. And so I got all the targets out there. I'll have everything ready to go for them. It's ready now. I'm just got to move a couple things around. But there are going to be all kinds of shooting clinics and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and, and like I said, we'll have all the schoolhouses there. And so they'll be doing their thing. But I think it's going to be a really good. This is their first joint operation, for lack of a better word. So their, their uh, first joint get-together between the two associations for the Army and the Marine Corps. So I think that's pretty cool that they're having it here in Denver. And they're going to be able to use my range. And thanks to you know everybody out there and Mile High for jumping up and saying they'll get the lunch for everybody. So uh, I think it'll be a really good time. So we'll see what happens. All righty. Cool, man. Well, I'm going to end this one. Another short one for you guys. Just wanted to knock this out. Uh, get it done. Um, I'll read your, I could read probably some of your comments. Let me go. Some weird trolling comments lately. I got some time. I'll, I won't kill it too short. There's been some really weird kind of trolly comments. I'm not a fan of the trolls kind of coming on. Um, let me see where we're at. Uh, what was the ammo you mentioned? Let me see. Okay, so I'll just go, and I'm not sure where I left off, but um, it says, were you able to get the presentation gift you carry on luggage back from Colorado? Uh, I think he meant to say way cool. It says why cool. But yes, I did bring my uh, target uh, anvil, hammer and anvil back from Colorado. I put it, and here's here's another clue, dude. This is funny. Because I've argued with people that what TSA will do, what they can't do, and bring in rifles. I fly with stuff all the time. I fly with my rifles, and people are like, TSA can't go in there if you're not present. Bullshit. They'll go in there anytime they want. So I put the steel target in a carry-on a check bag. You know what I mean? A, a hard-sided little moving um, check bag. So it fit in there. I put that hammer and anvil target in that bag. That's all that's in the bag. I get home, take it out of the bag to go put it up and everything. There's a TSA notice in there. They went in my carry, not carry on, my check bag to look at that target to see what it was. So trust me, they'll go through your stuff. But yes, I did bring it back. Um, Okay, what is this? M113A3. M113s, isn't that like a Bradley? I think it is, isn't it? Is it old school 90s APC? Yeah, that's a Bradley, right? He was a tank commander. Okay, yeah, that's that one with the front. And it's the 90s. Yeah, I know what that one, that guy is. So follow up on my last question. What was the ammo you'd mentioned in episode that you have going 2850? Um, That's the Peterson. The Peterson, who's the prime, it's all being mentioned and coming out. Like I said, with the travels and everything, I haven't been able to keep up with it. But Peterson Brass is paired with Sparks and is now making ammo. And they're making factory ammo. That is what is being used to kind of proof the sniper's hide rifle. And in fact, there's one 
there was an image of a sniper's hide rifle, which I probably should go into a little more detail on the class because we had one in the class, which was this one. And it had this really gorgeous looking test target, like sub three eighths inch, all one hole. And that's when I said, hey, I shot a four shot group because I, I got scared of the fifth. And then Matthew sent me a picture and he says, we are not scared of shooting the fifth. And it was a tiny little group. That's using Peterson ammo. And the 140 Peterson is going 2850. It wasn't 170. Oh, um, yeah, but my 22 inch AI, 2850 out of the 140 grain Peterson with an SD of 9.5. Okay, so the Peterson's really good. Well, then they're making the Prime. The Prime's going 2850, 9.7 SD. So the Prime switching to Peterson actually cut the SD in half from what the Ruag was. So um, good stuff there. What do we got? Chris is over here. Chris, Frank, 308 left-hand gain twist, uh, 1 in 10 to 8 shooting 185 juggernauts. What are you expecting? Good muzzle velocity. And how do you think it will affect barrel life? Left-hand twist doesn't have an effect on barrel life. I mean, there's no reason why the twist rate like that would affect the barrel life. And in fact, it has less pressure. It should be a little bit better barrel life if you want to get down to the nit and picky. But it's a 308, dude. A 308 barrel life is like 10,000 rounds on a bad day. You know, if you want to be anal retentive about it, you might get 8,000 rounds out of your 308. So there shouldn't be an effect on that. Um, good muzzle velocity for a 185. You don't. You didn't say. With my 20-inch AI, Bartland barrel, 1 in 10, shoots the 185s going 2690. 2685, 2690. That's using 2000 MR powder. So you should be able to get easily over 2700, depending on your barrel length, with um, your 185s. And I wouldn't sweat barrel life. It's 308, dude. Barrels are tires. Barrels are tires. Barrels are tires. There are no snakes here in Alaska, just moose in the range. We had bears too, moose and bears on the range in Alaska. You guys got dinosaurs up there. Yeah, the snake story was hysterical. We, we're still laughing about it um, in the whole thing. But yeah, going back to um, the sniper's hide rifle in class. We've had them in a lot of classes now. Dude, these, I, I, these guns are phenomenal. No stress, no drama. The students are able to go to a level that they probably wouldn't be able to do. They're not fighting their equipment. They're really having a good go with the sniper's hide rifles. Call APO up. Grab yourself a sniper's hide edition rifle. If you want a good training rifle, crossover rifle, get it 6.5 Creed. You can upgrade it and get it pretty much any caliber you want. You, you will not be disappointed with a sniper's hide rifle. I promise you. Everybody that's been using them loves them. Um... Appreciate the question answering podcast. I like the simple, quick answers when it's allowable and when there's more in depth needed often happens. Thanks. Okay. That's a uh, PXJ. Yeah. I like answering the questions too. Makes my job easy to be honest with you. Frank has it, but is finishing up the course for a mile high. He will post it soon. Don't know. Somebody was asking ballistic calculator section. Um, I posted it in the Everyday Sniper. I think he's talking about um, Mark's weaponized math. It's in the Everyday Sniper podcast section, or it's on the front page of Sniper's Hide in an article. But it's there. Um, I wonder what your thoughts on trigger shoes, flat or curved, and why. I don't have an issue with trigger shoes. Uh, I don't care. 
you know, to me, they feel the same because I'm putting my pad of the finger on them. I even like, I have like the tub rifle with the round one. I even like that. And it's, it's flat, but round, you know, it's like a, it's like a rod with the knurled rod. It's that Anschutz kind of one that, um, tub was using for a while. So I'm not a big trigger shoe. Doesn't bother me. It's what the only thing that, that a pet peeve that annoys me is with curved triggers when guys are off the curve and just down, almost resting on the trigger guard and using the tip of a curved in the middle of their finger. So they're not in the trigger shoe. They're down at the bottom pushing on the tip. I'm not a fan of that. that that's my only pet peeve when it comes to trigger shoes. I do like the adjustable ones moving forward and back. And I kind of like the little, like the elf uh, trigger that I have. Right, I got the Elf 700 trigger. It has the adjustable shoe, and it's the little curvy guy. You can move up or down, forward and back, and I kind of like those. So I'm not super picky with my trigger shoes. I just like my finger to fit. Um, what is this one? The 1988 Pacific Fleet matches were held at Camp Pendleton Range 116. When I got to the 600-yard line, my station had a Mojave green rattlesnake on it. The frigging gunny gave me a ration of shit for waiting to shoot and, and the dang thing. They were there before um, we were. Screw that. Just shoot the damn thing. Oh, the snakes. So, yeah, this was actually like a green rattlesnake. So, it did have a green tint to it, the rattlesnake that I won. So, our high desert rattlesnake had, definitely had some green to him. But, yeah, rattlesnakes are a thing, man. Our, and... We were for a while, like we had snakes out there when the uh, prairie dogs were out there, and then the landowner killed the prairie dogs, poisoned them. And the rattlesnakes seemed to have gone away for a long time. Within the last year, they seem to come back and they're back around where we are. So uh, they're kind of right mixed in where we're hanging out, where normally they used to just hang out by the targets. You know, they'd be under the boards in different places. Guys worrying about 500 feet DA are missing because of DA, but it ain't density altitude. Yeah, I don't know what he's responding to. I'd have to go look it up. I don't know what he means. But yeah, DA should be rounded to every 1,000 feet. You don't need to worry about the numbers between. Round it up or round it down nearest 1,000, and you're good with DA. <laughs> Billy Bats got treated better in Goodfellas than the snake did. No true story right there, man. It, it was totally a Billy Bats deal. You know, that motherfucker. Oh, I got the 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 deer. Deer hit a deer in his hoof. His hoof. What is this? His hoof. I need the knife. The I need the knife to cut his poor hoof. The paw. His paws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Bats guy had a bad man, but I'm gonna. We should call that snake Billy Bats. You know, go get your shine box. Yeah, yeah, ain't shining no no stuff. So that's pretty much caught up with some of the questions. I need to go into uh, the sniper side forum. To answer some of the questions there. Because I kind of don't answer the questions in the forum. But I definitely need to go do that. But uh, I'll do that for the next one. Again, thanks everybody for coming to the class. Mile high shooting outdoors. But like I said, I think we're pretty much done for the year. And I'm completely booked up. Tennessee Tread Proof. T-R-E-A-D-P-R-O-O-F. Tread Proof. Look for the Mark and Frank Show. October 25th to the 27th also i haven't been mentioning it a whole lot because we're we're pretty full but I, I mean we still got a little space the minnesota class at the end of the month uh the last weekend of august is the minnesota class up at the gopher hills 
I think you can get with Eric and there's still like one or two spaces left because I gave him a pretty big number. Two-day class, Minnesota. I'll be up there at the end of the month uh, doing that. But the nice thing is I'm home now. Like I, I got to do the gathering this weekend. But then after that, I can jump in and do videos. I can jump in and do finish my reviews. I got I got the MDT chassis here to finish doing a video on. Like I said, I'm, MDT chassis really become the go-to. You know, it's it's almost like sometimes I look at this stuff like I don't need to rush because it's such a given in my mind when I'm looking at like, you know, the conversations. It's like, do I need to race out and get you this information? Nah, because you already kind of know it, you know. So that's another thing. But, um, yeah, definitely there. Uh, 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 as far as that goes, the MDTs and all that. But I'm looking forward to that stuff uh, as far as... um getting some out and getting some video. And last thing, I want to say the last, 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 last. I shot the bolt action Valkyrie again. I shot it with the 90 grain ammo that Joel gave me. Dude, it was three eighths of an inch factory ammo. I don't know. And here's the bitch. I don't know if this is the old stuff or the new stuff. Okay. I don't know the date on the box or whatever. So I can't tell you if this is the improved 90 they fixed after the fact or if it's the old 90. But I will tell you this. I do found the problem and it wasn't the twist rate what it was is like if I chamber every other round every third round you can feel a chambering difference put the Hornaday through it like glass it's just butter man boom boom smooth as hell it's soft serve ice cream in there okay I shot we had a guy in the class with a Valkyrie a JP put together Valkyrie he had hand loads 88 grain hand loads I grabbed a handful of his hand loads and shot him out of my bolt action. Money worked really great. Butter to load, butter to shoot. I put those 90 grain Federals in. I could feel a couple of them. They're tight. There's something up. I actually gave a box to Fritz so he can play with it when he's doing this and chambering them. But I ran the Valkyrie out just like we did in the class. It was money, man. There was no struggle, no drama. I mean, other than in the 14 to 16 mile an hour wind, I had at a thousand yards in a 16 mile an hour average wind, you know, like I said, it was 14 to 18. I needed 3.5 mils to hit the thousand and I was consistently hitting the thousand. I think I was eight, two, maybe. I don't remember. I have to look it up. I want to say I think I was 8-2 to 1,000 yards. So let's call it 8. So if you're 7-2, 7-5 for a 6-5 Creed, I was 8 for the Valkyrie. I needed, yeah, more wind, 3-5. But in the closer targets, man, 6 and in, it's like no wind at all. You know, so it's really, really good. And even we saw it with um, the rifles we shot. It was inside 600 it's a tenth less wind with the Valkyrie than a 6.5 Creed. Okay? A tenth less wind. Then it sort of evens out from 6 to 8. And then after 8, now this is with the, the bolt action with these different rounds. And then after 8, it increased quite a bit. And that's with the better ammo, better loads coming out of the bolt action gun. So the more I'm shooting it, the more I'm kind of learning with it. And I really, really dig it. No recoil feels so good. I mean, really, really great stuff. But, um, again, you know, I'm going to just keep telling you, everybody, I know it missed the boat, and I'm sad about that. 
that that 90 grain federal hiccup really put a, a put a a thumb on the scale against the Valkyrie but I'm telling you it, it really needs to be lifted because it, I think it's still viable. I know it's not Gucci and it's not, you know, it's not an A-tip. It's not a Psalm. It's not this. It's not a Dasher. It's not cool. But, man, 6,000 rounds of barrel life, super cheap factory ammo. You can hot rod it and hand load it up a little bit. You know, I don't see the downside, man. I really, really don't. What's the difference if you're going to do a six Dasher and have to chase your brass or a 224 Valkyrie and push it at 2850 and and it's good, you know, especially if you don't want to invest the money in something big dollar for somebody, you know, kids, wives, things like that. I don't know. What are you going to say? Spooky. All right, guys, I'm going to be out of here, man. I will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for sharing. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, put our numbers up. We kind of flat, a little bit flat on our numbers as far as subscriptions go. We had a big run to like 3,500. We need some more, man. We need to get to 5,000 subscribers. Tell your friends, tell your buddies, hey, man, subscribe to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. I want 5,000. Maybe I'll do something cool. Like if I get 5,000 subscribers, I'll, I'll get a... I'll get a scope to give away from somebody or something, you know, or I'll give one of mine away. I don't care. Got a couple extras lying around. But 5,000 subscribers, man. So race me up there and get me some new subscribers. We need to get up with Joe Rogan and shit. Keep commenting on the Podbean app because they're watching. I'm watching. We're talking about it. And uh, share it around to your friends, man. Turn your buddies on. You go to a match, put the stickers out there and say, hey, dudes, you listening to Everyday Sniper Podcast? If you're not, you should be. Because Frank said so. Cool? All right, guys. Have a good one.